Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours from On the Road in Puerto Rico. Today, we're talking about the ongoing crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border with behind-the-scenes reflections from our most recent trip there. We are in a place, well, last week, Brian Barr, photographer, Daniel Steinberger, producer, and I, we came to you from the mountains of... Denver, Colorado, Colorado, outside of Denver. Well, we're looking at mountains again this week, but we're not in Denver anymore. Maybe some of you saw my Twitter feed. We're in Puerto Rico. Quite the opposite. Beautiful, though. Just as beautiful as the Colorado countryside in a different way. Anyway, back in Puerto Rico, where we have been before for full measure, working on additional stories and research for fall season seven. Do you know where we are on the island approximately? You're driving, Brian. Uh, we're east east of Aguadilla. I uh, forget the name of this town. Arecibo? Arecibo, yes. Daniel? <laughs> we're between yeah, Aguadilla and San Juan. Yeah. Aguadilla is beautiful. We've been there before. They have an amazing beach. I guess it's called Crash Beach. Crash Boat Beach. Crash Boat Beach. And uh, someone I know texted me from the mainland and said this was one of his top favorite beaches I guess in the world. It is beautiful. Weather's about 86 degrees. Feels hotter I guess because it's humid. But it's not as hot as it was in Denver. Well this week I thought since we're in reruns as some of you know working ahead on our stories for fall I thought we would talk a little bit more about this week's rerun which has to do with the border. We visited the Arizona-Mexico border as I've done quite a number of times over the years to see what was going on. And as it happens, purely by a stroke of luck, we were down there early in the year in 2021 when it really happened to be turning into a crisis with the uptick in the illegal immigration as the switch over from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. And we were on the front end of all of that reporting that you saw at least for a little while that the other press did too about what was going on at the border. First, I'm going to start with Brian to elaborate a little bit on some of that trip we made to the Arizona border and some of the things that you took away from it. It can either be visual stuff, since you're the photographer, (laughs) or other interesting information you learned. I thought that we went, when we, Daniel always organizes the best trips. He does. Um, And so we're always either on a boat or a plane or a helicopter or horseback, sometimes on even on horseback. And we went up with CBP and got an aerial view of the, the current border, the fence area um, in that part of Arizona. 
And if you remember, the Biden administration signed the executive order halting all fence construction. And essentially, everybody just put their tools down and went away and left huge gaps in the wall, uh, in the, the, the new wall that they had been they had been putting together and left gaps where they had taken the old wall down and not not replaced it. And it really kind of gave us a good perspective on how Swiss cheesy that part of the wall was uh, when we were flying along it with uh, government in the government aircraft. Well, we were the first crew that made it up to this part in a mountainside to see where the wall abruptly stopped, but they had done all the prep work. So there were these giant ditches in essence built and no border whatsoever because they'd taken down what little existing border there was to extend the new wall. But when all the workers got up and literally left overnight, we were told by everybody, they just put down their stuff, as Brian said, and closed up shop, leaving these huge vulnerabilities that we report about in our story this week on Full Measure, whereby the cartels understand they can exploit these gaps. I heard that the Biden administration since then is looking at possibly trying to address some of that. But meantime, this has been exploited. And the way it was explained to us by the people who watch the border and know these things very well, as the cartels are flooding the border, particularly in Texas, with people who want to be caught so that they can stay in the U.S., even though they've crossed illegally, the cartels are sending drugs and illegal human traffic in, particularly over Arizona, exploiting these gaps in these places where they know Border Patrol is overwhelmed with the humans coming across and wanting to be picked up. And they know that they can therefore send drugs and contraband and illegal human traffic across other parts of the border. So that's one of the most interesting things the Border Patrol showed us. Daniel? What am I supposed to say? My impressions of everything? Sure. I mean, I, to me, I, just in visiting the, the border wall, I, I think it is interesting to see the size of it and how massive the size of the wall, but also just how massive the terrain is and how different the terrain is across the border. Um, you know, Brian mentioned plane and boats and helicopters. I mean, they have all that and horseback, they have all that because the terrain is rugged, the terrain is could be on water, there's so many different variables. Um, and I think without having, not, you know, only a couple of years ago was the first time I had gone down there. Um, and seeing it in person, I think, leaves you a different impression than, um, than you might think. Um, and actually, but I think our television stories have actually given a good, given a, a fair representation and a picture, you know, and, and and shows shows the reality, which I think has been really good in our, some of the stories that we've done. Well, something else we learned, we tried to go to the border. We obviously have plans. People were going to see an interview, but we don't have a pre-planned agenda, as I think some reporters do, of how a story has to turn out. They kind of sometimes go and try to fulfill whatever their impression is to prove a certain point. And we really go and try to listen to the people down there. We've talked to illegal immigrant advocates, illegal immigrants, uh, Border Patrol, ICE, local law enforcement, um, the people who conduct relief work. And we just get a really accurate picture. The ranchers, I think, of, of everything that's going on. So while we were down there on that trip, we listened to some officials who suggested you need to talk to 
some of the folks in small towns around here who are being informed that they're going to be the overflow. This is ahead of all the crisis being in full swing, but they knew it was coming, meaning our officials knew that this kind of traffic was coming across, and they were notifying some communities that we're going to dump these illegal immigrants in your community without COVID tests. And I found that hard to believe because we're talking like really in the height of the fear over the COVID epidemic, pandemic, and we had to confirm that for ourselves, and we did. We even got a copy of a meeting of a local town council where Border Patrol appeared to answer some questions about this and confirm that they could be dumping people in this community who would then be left at a bus station with no resources to try to find their way to some other part in the country and that they would not be COVID tested. And the town was telling us, well, we don't have the resources to house them or test them or feed them. It's a small community. And they were really worried about how that would turn out. Since then, we've heard a lot of reporting about how states are asking questions about illegal immigrants quietly being moved into the state without the governor or maybe the local communities being told. And they're saying, we need to know if these people are being settled in our communities because we have to plan for the schools that will be taking some of the youth and the services that we'll need to handle some of these people. But they're not having an easy time from what I've been able to tell the letters going back and forth. They're not having an easy time getting answers about how to find out who's being settled where as they come into the U.S. And although there has been less reporting than there was, I would say, in the springtime, things have only grown worse. And now, I I wrote a short article about this recently, I believe we're breaking 20-year records for the number of illegal immigrants caught at the border, and it shows no sign right now of um, letting up. What did you think, Brian, when we went to that town where they were worried about the mayor was telling us, you know, if they drop these people off here at the bus station, we just don't have any provisions for them. I think he was I think he was flabbergasted that he was about to be I guess at that point he expected to be inundated by, you know, custom and border protection vans that would just back up to the bus station, open up the back doors and guys would hop out. And then they would sit there and wait on the once-a-day bus, right? Was it once a day? Yeah, I think he said sometimes the bus doesn't come every day and that some people could be there as long as 48 or 72 hours. They didn't even have like a tent or an umbrella over that gas station. Yeah, remember the the bus station was in a gas station. Yeah. It's not actually a bus station. It's like a bench on the side of a gas station that has a Greyhound sign, so... It's it's not it's it's kind of an an odd place to get dropped off, and we're talking about I think Wilcox, Arizona. That was the name of the town. Well, a little side note: when we were in Wilcox, and there were still some concerns about the pandemic, and we've been driving a lot that day. As you can imagine, when you get to these places near the border, sometimes you drive for hours and hours, and don't seem to get very far. Everything's so far apart. But we had been. Down at the border, I think Wilcox was at least an hour, maybe a little more north of the border. And we were starving. We had an interview to do, but we hadn't eaten. And so we were looking for a quick place to stop. And we we got into town. Not a lot was open, but we saw, was it sort of like a steak restaurant? So we parked the car. We're starving. We're starting to maybe get grumpy. 
because we really have to eat at some point. And we go inside, and what they told us when we asked about food, I thought they were joking. Do you want to oh, yeah. tell them what they told us? Yeah, we said, so what do you have on the menu? And I think she said something to the effect of, well, what did you bring with you to cook? And basically, it was one of those, I guess it was, I guess it's, I've never heard of it, but I guess you bring, you or you can go back in their back and pick out some meat, and then you cook it yourself, and then you eat. So... I think I could be wrong. I thought they were doing that because of COVID and maybe they weren't keeping a chef on site, but maybe it was a restaurant that just always lets you cook your own meat. But we left and we decided we didn't want to cook our own meat. They weren't joking. And we found another place nearby that was actually quite good and had a, had a quick um, meal, not too far from the bus station slash gas station. So I hope you, if you missed the story... I hope you catch it this week on Full Measure or tell your friends about it because there aren't many places where you're going to get a wholesome look at, you know, just a newsy look at a story like this where you're going to hear different sides and views and aspects without us trying to shove a particular viewpoint down your throat and then you're left to think whatever you wish to think about the issue. But we'll come back with more from here on the road in Puerto Rico after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back from on the road on assignment in Puerto Rico. In fact, we were here a couple of years ago doing a border story here because people don't realize, I didn't either, that Puerto Rico is a very important U.S. border, our Caribbean border, and a lot of drugs come in here from Central and South America, apparently. Once they can get into Puerto Rico, they're home free because there isn't another customs check before they would go to the mainland from here. So this is a really key point for trying to intercept bad things. But we're talking about this week's program on full measure from the Arizona-Mexico border. And one interesting thing that I've learned on all of my trips to the borders, besides the border communities that have to deal with all of the drug traffic and illegal immigration, prior to it fanning out in different parts of the U.S., because it ends up pretty much everywhere, the ranchers obviously have a specific problem. These people who own tons of ranch land that was homesteaded many years ago along the U.S.-Mexico border, and some of them, as I learned years ago when I first did a story for CBS News, they can have hundreds of people, believe it or not, during the worst times of the border, hundreds of drug cartels and traffickers cross every day on their property. How do they know this? Well, they have cameras and surveillance and they can see a lot of this going on. And one really interesting thing that I've learned about the border over time is it's, it's kind of a living thing. It really reacts a lot to policies and procedures that are put in place. So sometimes when we've gone down to the border, the problem's been really, really bad. But the last time we went, before this past January, things had actually improved. And the ranchers told us that 
gosh, for the first time in many, many years, they had it where the traffic on their ranch land was down to almost nothing. And this was a result of a combination of policies they felt that had been put into place in the last couple of years. Well, when we went back in January, all that had changed again. And we didn't know what we were going to find when we set up to go down there and talk to the ranches this time. But I will let Daniel start with talking about who we, who we spoke to and what they told us. Well, we met two ranchers. Um, one was named Tyler Klump, and he talked to us about um, not having a lot of help from the federal government and feeling that. Um, and also, you know, if, if the wait time, even if you do put in a call or try to get a little help in terms of people coming onto his property, um, the wait times would be crazy, he said. Um, and I thought just, you know, just living in that environment for him, um, I mean, you could tell there was, that he still had some fear and, you know, he was trying to raise a young family. So, you know, he, I thought he, he brought up some good points. And then we also met, uh, a woman by the name of Kelly Kimbrough, um, who was initially very, very against uh, putting up the wall at all. She just didn't think it worked, and she thought there are other better better uses of um, of money, taxpayer dollars. Um, and but but interestingly, once they started, she does feel like they're in the little spots here and there where they kind of stopped. Um, she thought that at least they should finish that up because. It looks just it, it just kind of like a gaping hole, which to her it didn't seem like it made a lot of sense. So those are just two of the viewpoints that we heard from among many of the others, among many people along the border. And then talking about the wall, universally, I was kind of surprised. Among the Border Patrol folks, they thought the wall had made a huge difference. And remember, Donald Trump had a hard time starting the wall because it was met with lawsuits from the very moment the idea came up and it was only not the summer before the election but two summers before the election finally the trump administration won a supreme court decision that allowed from what i understand the movement of money to allow him to start building the wall and border patrol told us they went day and night and couldn't believe how fast the hundreds of miles that ultimately got built went up. They just said it was really going at breakneck speed. Clearly a Trump administration, even if it expected to serve a second term, was rushing to finish as much as it could before the end of the first term um, with the thought in mind that it better act fast just in case. Brian, what else? When, when we were up in the sky looking at all of this landscape and the wall and the ranches. Well, do, you remember, do you remember the, the contractors put in all those roads in order to build to construct the walls and then Cochise County Sheriff was Mark Daniels mm-hmm. Mark and even some of the Customs and Border folks said that it made getting to and from the wall a lot easier but also provided a kind of a major artery by which anybody crossing can get across and away from the wall as very very quickly because they, they basically these big dirt superhighways built um, when they were constructing the wall. So you've got these big gaps in the wall and then, you know, basically highways leading away from them. So Yeah, so they were so pleased initially because part of the wall infrastructure was, as you said, that roads were built along the wall too to build the wall, but then the roads stayed, which made Border Patrol able to get to, or Customs and Border Protection, 
remote areas much faster. They would show us a place that they said before these roads were built by the wall, maybe took them an hour and a half, two hours to get to. Now they can get there in 20 minutes and report to some sighting, either an emergency or an injury or, an, or illegal immigration or drug traffic. They can get there much faster because of the roads. But as Brian said, with the wall just abandoned midstream, there's gaps there with now a wonderful superhighway for the drug cartels to travel on to move their drugs into the United States. So sort of the unintended consequence of leaving something midstream. And also, you remember the, the video that the helicopter pilot and rescuers gave us was they had to do these really extreme, like, cable rescues off their helicopters uh, for these people that, that were walking across the border and then get stuck. And, you know, literally, they're, you know, in like a 7,000-foot peak where they would fall into some ravine and they would have to get hoisted out, basically rescued by Customs and Border. So, um you know, so you've got these big roads, people allowing people to come in and out, but those gaps in the fence that also allow them to then get themselves into trouble and then have forced to be rescued on a regular basis. Because after they cross in, in some places, they have to go across this really wild mountain terrain. People used to think, well, they're not going to go. This is too hard. This, this place is too rough and rugged, but they do. And these are not the ones that are trying to turn themselves in and get caught. You see all those people on TV. This is a whole different category of people who are trying not to get caught because they are doing some sort of other illegal thing with drugs or human traffic. And then, yes, they fall. They may get hurt. I think they hoisted out a pregnant woman who was stuck in one of these ravines on top of a giant mountain and had fallen and hit her head. She was there with a partner. So... Another thing that strikes me about this, every time we go to the border, Customs and Border Protection, they get so much flack as if they are not being humanitarian enough or they're doing something mean. So they go out of their way to show all of the humanitarian work that they do. They try to really highlight that. And they've turned into, in many respects, sort of a social welfare agency. Remember when, a couple of years ago, when there was a big surge in the unaccompanied minors, as they say, they were on their own, some of these border agents bringing diapers in, working as babysitters in essence for some of the kids. They always show us how they have these teams that are ready to rescue, put their own lives at risk really, to rescue the illegal immigrants and even drug traffickers who get in trouble as they're trying to come into the U.S. as well as those who are simply coming for work. But there's a lot of expense and time tied up in helping the people once they've crossed illegally. And again, they're highlighting the teams and the huge infrastructure that they've now built to show that they're doing this social work rather than enforcing the border. You know, of course there is some of that, but it just strikes me that a lot of their time and effort and a lot of cost is spent taking care of people who come into the country illegally rather than keeping them from coming into the country illegally. I think you could go even further and, you know, Cheryl and I witnessed and Daniel and I witnessed, um, you know, how tender these guys, tender is not the right word, but how compassionate uh, these guys can be when they actually interact with somebody they catch sneaking into the country. We saw a guy, what part of Arizona was that? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember, but he had, he had jumped 
a piece somehow of the new border wall, which mm-hmm. was even taller and now covered with concertino wire. Yes. And he'd gotten cut on the way down and we were with the border patrol as they were chasing him down or sort of tracking him in a neighborhood. Yeah, and you know, they so they they obviously they caught him and they brought him out of the brush that he was in, sat him down and they had to tend to his injuries and you know, I thought their interactions with him were were you know, kind of compassionate, kind of nice. Like, you know, this is what's going to happen. You know, it wasn't a very accusatory posture that they took. I thought that the, you know, they were uh, doing a job and doing it what I assume or what appeared to me pretty non-judgmental um, and compassionate Lee. Uh, and then there was also the guy that quit in the middle of the, when, when we were taking pictures of the ATV that they had. They found a guy who had quit in the middle and, you know, they were making sure he had water and making sure his... You know, I think he had lost his shoes or something. Yeah, we were in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And so I believe this kid, really, he was fairly young. Maybe, was he 17 or no older than 19? And he said that he had come across with a couple of other people. And by the way, this was his second trip in a fairly short period of time, he said. And he was coming to work. And it's just so hot. It's very dangerous. They don't always have an accurate picture or not always told by the cartels who control the crossings and who they have to pay. They're not always given a good picture of how far they have to go and where they have to go and how hard it is. And they end up in that desert heat, you know, if we're talking about summertime. And he had blisters on his feet and had taken off, maybe taken off his shoes, but he couldn't go any further. So he was waiting to be picked up and was lucky in this remote place that Border Patrol had a patrol and could come by and tend to his injuries and give him water and so on. And, you know, it's it's hard not knowing a person's story. Even if they tell you the story, you don't really know their story. On the one hand, some of these people, especially the ones that are trying to get away, they're definitely involved in, you know, cartel traffic that can be directly linked to America's fentanyl problem and a lot of havoc and horror here in the United States. Not good people. But, of course, there are other people that have a whole different profile and the guy that had jumped the fence and cut his hand pretty badly you know that I don't know if it required stitches but when they were tending to him I felt awful because I don't know if you recall that I was watching him from behind we didn't take pictures of his face because he didn't want to be photographed and he looked like a real rough and tough guy but I saw a tear come out of his eye you know and just fall on the ground and I thought I wonder what he's thinking I mean who knows his story and you can make up a story in your mind but I just thought you know maybe this was he thought his one chance at getting away from whatever he was getting away from to whatever he hoped to get to and here he's seeing that sort of go down the drain and felt very sad again you don't know someone's true story but when you see these people in person obviously they're uh, humans and it's very hard to watch the suffering you know some argue that we are really creating a bad problem by giving people the impression that it's easy to get into the United States and stay because it draws more people. And when they come in across the border, by all accounts, almost all of them have to coordinate with and pay the drug cartels. So as these people cross, for whatever reason, it's making the cartels richer and richer um, as they prosper on the backs of sometimes these very poor people. We will be back to the border yet again. We're going to keep covering the border in a fair way without preconceived notions of what we have to have. So we'll be back probably at the Texas border again with more reporting on that. 
this fall on Full Measure Season 7. Thank you for listening to us today here from Puerto Rico. We will see you guys again next week. I'm not sure where we're going to be talking to you from next week or even who's going to be with me for sure. But thank you, Daniel and Brian, for taking part. Adios. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. My new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, is filled with important context regarding the death of the news as we once knew it. Pick up your copy of Slanted today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you'll check out Full Measure every Sunday throughout the summer. We'll be back with a new and fresh season seven, our seventh year, beginning in September. I hope you'll check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, Subscribe to both of them, leave a good review, share them with your friends. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.